Yeah, they, they made it sweet. Right, Matt? They made Okay, all right, good. Uh, hey, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to the book of Genesis. Uh, we are going to use our Bibles a bit this morning and uh, just throughout the book of, of Genesis. For the past six weeks, we've been on this series of highlighting the home and attempting to place like a biblical spotlight on the relationships uh, through the lens of, of Scripture. And today, it will be our final message on the home. And next week, we'll start uh, taking some time to turn our hearts toward uh, the, the coming celebration of Easter Sunday. And uh, by the way, I would, if I can encourage you, um, if you, if you know of somebody that you would like to invite to church with you on Easter Sunday, or even our Good Friday service, uh, I would start talking about it now, and uh, be prayerful, and uh, invite someone. They say, uh, studies, studies will tell you that the number one way to get someone um, to come to church is not by putting a sign out front, not by advertising on social media or anywhere else, but the number one way to have someone come to church is a personal invitation of a friend. So think, think through that. If that's the number one way, uh, man, we, we can use our mouths uh, as an invitation to, uh, to draw people to Jesus. And uh, today, as, uh, today, as we turn our attention here to this highlighting the home, we're going to do, do a flyover of a specific family uh, in the book of Genesis, Jacob and his, his 12 sons. And, and I, there's so much that, that's there, and we're not going to try to at all get into the weeds and into the details. We're just going to take this, this flyover. But, but I, I know that there's many people in the church here uh, who are real familiar, some who are um, sort of familiar, some who may not be familiar at all with portions of Scripture. So I, I want to start from a, from a common place. So give me a few minutes to, uh, to, build, of a, to build a bit of a, of a foundation of, of where we're going to go. In Genesis chapter number 12, God calls a man. Does anybody know his name? You want to say it out loud? God calls a man in Genesis 12. Abraham, thank you down front. Good, good job. Uh, if you see me after the service, Miss, uh, Miss Ellen, I have a donut for you. It's really old, but uh, it, like it's from last Sunday, but I still have a donut. Uh, God calls this man named Abraham uh, to him, and he makes a covenant with Abraham that through the family line of Abraham, the whole world would be blessed. And that was because through the family line of Abraham would come the Messiah, would become, would come Jesus. Well, Abraham has a son at the age of 100 named Isaac. Isaac marries a woman named Rebecca, and Isaac and Rebecca have two boys named Jacob and Esau. And this is who we're talking about. Jacob and Esau have a huge backstory that we cannot talk about, but here's, here's what happened. Jacob had to run away from home for about 20 years. And, and when he was away from home, he adds to the craziness of his life by marrying two sisters. Bad enough marrying... I'm not going to go. Uh, he marries two sisters, and uh, their names are Rachel and Leah. But the problem is, he absolutely clearly tells everyone, I love Rachel. Leah had to come along. Problem with that is, Rachel can't have children. So Leah begins to give Jacob children, and that makes Rachel jealous. So Rachel says, we'll use my handmaid and have children with her. And then Leah says, use my handmaid, have children with her. And there's this, this competition until finally, at the length, after a length of time, Rachel finally gives birth to two children. The oldest is Joseph and the youngest named Benjamin. And when Jacob returns back to where his brother was, the one he had conflict with, the one he ran away from, where he married two women and has 12 kids by four different women, 
he chooses one of those children as his favorite. His name is Joseph. And, and, and we're not going to read it, but in Genesis chapter 37, Jacob makes it very clear that he loved Joseph more than the rest of his sons. He did it in such a way that all these boys of his knew. So their response to this most loved son is, we hate him. So we have this man who had conflict with his brother, who has conflict with two wives, that has conflict with his own children. And now Joseph, this youngest brother, comes to his brothers who already hate him and say, hey, guess what, guys? Someday, one, it's really cool, it's going to happen. You're going to bow down to me one day. It never works out for the youngest to do that, right? I, I'm the youngest. Uh, most of my brothers were gone by the time I, I came around. I'm nine years younger than the next uh, brother. and so. Uh, but I did get tied up to the bedpost a couple of times. Hands behind my back, using one of my dad's ties, and the lights were turned out. And they said, uh, if you tell mom and dad, when they get home, we will do it again next time. Which they did. Because uh, I definitely told, because I was the youngest. And you know how the babies are. Uh, but but Joseph, so, so Joseph is, is looking at his brothers and saying, you're going to bow down to me. And boy, they just hated him even more. So now there's a, a plot to kill him. His brothers say, we're going we're gonna to get rid of him. This, this guy, we're never going to bow down to him. And, and yet they don't kill him. They actually end up selling him as a slave to a group that's going to Egypt. And then they're like, so now what do we do? What do we tell dad? And so they, they took this coat that Joseph had that showed he was the favorite and they, they dipped it in blood and they took it back to their dad. And like, dad, I, we, we think that Joseph got killed by a wild animal. And I, what do you think? So looking at the robe, I want to read what Jacob says in Genesis chapter 37, verse number 33. Genesis 37, verse number 33, says, And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol. I shall die, the place of death. My son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. You see the, the grief that Jacob is expressing here. But the very next verse begins with the word, meanwhile. Because what Jacob believes is that his son has, has died at the hand of a wild animal, has no idea of the scheming that took place, but that's not what was going on. Meanwhile, verse number 37 says, Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him, meaning Joseph, into, in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Joseph goes to Egypt, serves a, 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 an officer in the army. He's, he makes his way to the top. He's lied about, thrown into prison, where he sits 
forgotten for years until Pharaoh has a dream and Jacob is called out of prison, interprets the dream, which is a famine of seven years, and because of that is placed as the second in command of the entire land of Egypt, which ruled the world. Martin Luther actually called that portion of Joseph's story a resurrection of sorts. From being dead to the world to being placed beside the ruler of the world. Joseph prepares for this coming famine by storing lots of food, and I know many of you know this story well, and eventually there's no food in the land. Reach, the famine reaches all the way where Jacob and his sons, those, those 11 boys were living, and so Jacob says, we'll die of hunger, go to Egypt and get some food, the 10 of you, but there was 11 at home. Which very clearly shows us that, that Jacob has not gotten over choosing favorites. Because he's not going to send the young boy Benjamin. He sends the ten older brothers. And when they get to Egypt, Joseph immediately recognizes them as his brothers. So now Joseph begins the scheme. You guys are a bunch of liars. You're spies. I know why you're here. You're here to overthrow our land. And they say, no, we're, we're not. We're a family of, of 11 brothers. Actually, there was 12. One is no longer with us, but there's 11 of us. And he said, there's only 10 of you. The only way I'll believe your story is to bring the 11th child here. And to guarantee you'll come back, I'm going to keep one of, your, one of you. And he keeps his brother Simeon in prison. And so now think with me. Nine brothers return to Jacob. When they get back to Jacob, they say, hey, dad, we had to leave one of our brothers in prison. And the only way we can get him out of prison is to take Benjamin, the youngest, who you didn't let it go, who, who it was your favorite. We have to take him back with us to prove that we're really not spies. You know, Jacob's heart now. Oh, but then they begin to open up the food that they brought from Egypt. And Joseph had schemed put their money back in their bags so as they open their bags of, of food they see their money sitting on top and immediately Jacob thinks my sons have been accused of being spies now they'll be accused of being thieves if they return to Egypt they'll all die but if they don't return to Egypt my son Simeon is going to stay in prison but the only way they could go back to Egypt is to take my son Benjamin. All of this is going on in Jacob's mind when he quotes, and we'll look at chapter 42 if you have a Bible. So I want to look again at what Jacob says out loud when he sees all of this taking place. Genesis 42, verse number 36. Genesis 42, 36, And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. The NIV, if you have the NIV, it actually translates the, the last portion of this verse as Jacob saying, Everything's You think, think through what he's, what he's contemplating here. 
One son's dead. Another son's in prison. These sons will die if they go back, but they can't go back to save my other son without taking my youngest son. Everything. Have you ever felt like that? Like, it's all falling apart here. When I read this through my, my own morning devotions a few weeks ago, what stood out to me was the absolute anguish that Jacob felt. But, but see, I was so disconnected from that because I know the story. And I'm like, Jacob, no, 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 Joseph's not dead. And Simeon's, he's not going to be imprisoned. He's going to be let out. In fact, you're going to find out that Joseph is the second in command of the entire world. It's, it's going to be okay. In just a short time, you'll be reunited with your whole family and be cared for in such incredible ways. You see, I know that as I'm reading this passage, but I also realize in the moment, Jacob has no idea. His grief is very, very real. It's as real as the grief some of you are carrying right now in the middle of your own family's tragedies, hurts, pain, and sorrow. No doubt in this room, there are men and women whose marriages, they're grieving those marriages. And there's parents and grandparents who are looking at their children and looking at their, their grandchildren as that, that, that are being, that are living lives that are so contrary to, to what they would have desired for them to have chosen. And those very real, very raw emotions sit inside the hearts of those who truly believe in God. But there's this grief and this pain. But, but that is where the beauty of the gospel speaks directly into that pain. Because as Jacob said, everything is against me. The truth is, no. Romans chapter number 8 says something different. Romans chapter 8 says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then you got to think of this parallel here. Remember, Jacob was so concerned about saving his sons. And here's what we read about our heavenly father who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not freely give? How will he not with graciously give us all things? You can think of who our father is. He freely gave up his son. Well, we know what when we know what God has given us in Jesus, we can't sit there and say, God, you're withholding good things from me. He's given us the best. Why would he withhold anything less than the best from us? I know we're thinking everything. Sometimes we think everything is against me, and I want to remind you, no, 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 no. God is for you, and he is everything. That means everything is for you. But in the moment, sometimes we still really struggle. Man, you got to wake up daily and remind your heart of the good news of the gospel. Today, I don't know what's going to come my way, but I know this. God is for me, and I know that because of Jesus. Long story short, in Jacob's family, Joseph's brothers do return with their youngest, Benjamin, and they, they come to, to Joseph and 
Simeon's let out of prison, and so Joseph stands before his three brothers, and he reveals who he is finally to them. It's a long story, but he reveals who he is, and when he does, it is not a joyful reunion because those brothers are scared to death for their lives. They don't know what Joseph's going to do. Would you look with me at chapter 45? Chapter 45 and verse number 3. Chapter 45, verse 3, here's what we read. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. They were scared. But Joseph immediately, let's keep reading, immediately responds to them. Verse 4. I want you to notice, if you're, if you're looking at the verses behind me, notice what's, notice what's highlighted. And if you're not, I want you to notice how three times Joseph is going to clearly say who sent him. Genesis chapter 45, verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me. Before you to preserve life For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest and God sent me Before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors So it was not you who sent me But God He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land Jacob looks at his brothers so clearly. They're scared because they know they schemed. You didn't do this. You think you sold me. Oh, God sent me. God sent me. God sent me. I know it was the hand of God throughout all of this, through my prison, through my unjust accusation. Through all the devastation that I have felt, the, the, the loneliness, it was all God planning for me to save you. Jacob will send his brother, or Joseph will send his brothers back home to bring their father Jacob to him. And, and Jacob and, and Joseph will reunite. And before he dies, Jacob will bless Joseph's sons. It's, it's interesting if you read it, but he, he crosses his, his hands in order to bless Joseph's two sons. And then he, he dies. And, and when Jacob dies, Joseph's brothers think, okay, he's been putting it on. He's been worried about our dad, but now that dad's gone, he's going to come after us. And Joseph somehow hears what they're saying. And if you have your Bibles, one last time to Genesis chapter 50. This is a familiar verse that you may have heard many times. Joseph says to his brothers, who think he's going to plot for revenge, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. Notice these words. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The ones who plotted to kill 
sold into slavery and covered it all up are standing before Joseph and he says, I was sent by God to deliver you. And I will take care of you and the next generation. Because God saw, because Joseph saw that it was God's hand in his life, he doesn't seek for retaliation. He realizes it's God's perfect plan all along. And, and, and so, like, this is such a dysfunctional home. Jacob, who, who tricked his brother and then who, who tricked his father and then runs away to marry two women and then has chilled 12 children and chooses a favorite and when he's gone chooses another favorite oh this is this is so dysfunctional have you ever considered the ways that the life of joseph and his brothers mirrors the life of jesus and his brothers joseph and jesus both favored sons of their father both hated and rejected by their brothers who plotted to kill them. Both sold for 30 pieces of silver by someone who was close to them. Both realized they were sent by God to deliver the very brothers who hated them. Both experienced separation from their father through no fault of their own. Both experienced a resurrection of sorts. Joseph from the tomb of a prison and Jesus, of course, from his own tomb of death. Both offered forgiveness to their brothers, and then get this, both offered forgiveness to their brothers and then prepared a place for their brothers to live together with their father. They both realized it was all, this is all God's plan all along. Sitting back as I'm studying, preparing, and at some point, I know, I was in the middle of preparing this sermon, and I just, like, sat back in my chair, and I looked up, and I was like, this is so crazy. This is one of the most dysfunctional families in the entire scripture, and in this, in the midst of this dysfunctional family, is one of the clearest pictures of the gospel. Wouldn't you think the clearest picture of the gospel in scripture would come from a home where there was a perfect marriage? Wouldn't you think the clearest picture of the gospel in the scriptures would come from a home where, where the children all loved one another, almost as if they're walking on clouds and they loved serving one another? <laughs> that is not the case in this. I'm sure it's not the case in your home either. Definitely not the case in mine. But that's not the case here. We, we see these brothers who are full of deceit, hatred, bitterness. And yet, could there be be a clearer presentation of Joseph offering forgiveness to his brothers saying come live in my land with our father I'll make it happen oh no we see the goodness of Jesus and the glory of God in this crazy dysfunctional home and I am so so because for, for six weeks, this is our sixth week, for six weeks we've talked about our need for covenant love in the home. 
Our need for husbands to truly love their wives and wives to submit to their husbands and the children to honor and obey their, their parents and parents not to dads and fathers, not to cause strife within the home and, and for brothers and sisters to love one. And we've been talking about that. No doubt that in some minds, there's, there's, there's this heart that says, oh, that's, that's not how our home looks. That's not how our home functions. That, that's, not, that's not me at all. Oh, do I have hope? Here's your hope. So I want to close by just telling you the greatest need in our homes. Grace of God. It is is available to everyone. Here's why. God's grace. Amen to that. I don't know how you failed, but you do. I know how I failed. I've, I've admitted it often. I, I'm that husband that wants to be loved more than I want to give love. I'm that father with high expectations and quick to express disappointment when those expectations are not met. I'm that pastor, and that for, for many years is that youth pastor who, who found his righteousness in all the religious stuff that he accomplished and did. And I know our family is far from perfect, but man, I'll, I'll tell you something. This past Thursday evening, we celebrated my wife's birthday, who was, who she, her birthday was the week prior, but it was when Trevor... Our middle son would be home from college, and he brought his girlfriend, and Troy was there with his fiance, Lainey, and Trinity was there. And I'm just, at some point, like just sitting around thinking, how did this happen? Troy, I'm so proud of you, man. God's really working in your heart and life. You are, you are a man. Character and integrity. You found one of the most dearest young ladies I've ever met. Lainey, I think the world of you. I can't wait till our families are together. See that last Wednesday, right back, Joel, about where you are, and I, and I watched my my middle son Trevor stand here and, and preach at MCCA Chapel. Trinity, who's normally up here, and she's visiting a college this weekend with her brother, and I know she loves Jesus, and I I have this wife who puts up with me, right? Thank you. <laughs> She's the one that's supposed to say amen, not you. <laughs> and I'm like, but I just studied this. I'm sitting back there and I'm like, I know this isn't me, because I know me. Man, God, sure are good. Your grace is so much greater than my failure. Greater than your failures. He's greater than your marital failures. Greater than your failures as a parent. He's greater than the failures of siblings who can't get along. He's greater than favoritism and hatred and deceit and murderous plots. 
He's greater than all of that because when we put all that and mix it together, at the end we look and we see Joseph saying, oh yeah, God meant it all for good. What? Oh yeah, that's how grace works. So if I could encourage you. We've walked through these past couple of weeks talking about the ideal Christian home. And you're like, that ain't us. Oh. Take great hope. This most dysfunctional family. God's grace is greater than our failures. His grace is greater than our plans. Think of the scheming. Jacob's scheming. His son's scheming against Joseph and then against him. And even Joseph's scheming against his, his brothers. And through each one, God's grace is so evident. It's like, you plan what you want. God's grace is going to win. In your marriages, I, I would, if I can encourage you, read the books. Go to the life groups. You get a chance to attend a marriage conference. Listen to the podcasts. Serve Jesus together as a husband and a wife. Enjoy your date nights. Put in the work of your marriage. But ultimately, trust God. He's our our bridegroom. When it comes to your children or grandchildren, please do have your devotions. Get them to Sunday school. Bring them to youth group and the kids ministry. And if you're all about this, make them wear a helmet when they ride their bike. Wrap them up in bubble wrap, whatever is your thing. Teach them to be kind. Read the parenting books. But ultimately, Trust God. They're His. First and foremost, they are His. I'm that, I'm that dad that wanted to scheme out, plan out my children's future because, like, this dad's mind thought, I know what's best for them. So let me help you. I'm like, that's how I think. How must the Heavenly Father think? Oh, you're my kids. I want to show you all that I have awaiting you. So, so just surrender to me. So as, as, as parents and as, as grandparents, oh, can I, and I encourage you, don't draw your children to yourself. Joyfully surrender them to the God that is all of grace. And teach them there's nothing in this world, nothing that they can accomplish, no award they can win, no, no trophy they can hold, no medal around their neck, no scholarship that they can receive. There's nothing greater following the king. And like, I don't know if you guys understand, we have a very special person in this church. Aaron's, Aaron's daughter, Emily, was the, was the player of the year for the state of Virginia. Like, one person in Virginia won that award. Pretty amazing. That award does not compare. And Aaron, you know this. You've taught this to your family. That award does not compare. Serving. There's nothing. Teach children 
There's nothing greater. As you scheme, as we scheme, we sit back and know God's grace. It's greater than our failures, it's greater than our plans, and it's greater than our past. I want to close by asking you would, you, would you turn one more place in Genesis with me? Verse 4, chapter 41. We're going to have to go a little bit backwards in the story. We're going to go back to when Joseph, before Joseph's brothers approached him. Joseph was brought out of prison. He was made second in command. And before the famine comes, look at chapter 41, verse number 50. I'm going to read the first half of chapter of verse 50 and then I'm going to go on to verse 51 because there's some names I don't know how to pronounce. <laughs> chapter 41 verse 50. Before the year of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Verse 51. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to go into any great detail here. I just want to take, take that, the name of that first child, Manasseh. God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. Here is the truth. I just God never intended for Joseph to forget his father's house. God sent Joseph ahead so he could be the salvation for his father's house. Meaning, God wasn't trying to wipe away Joseph's past. He was seeking to redeem and restore the lost years of Joseph's past. That is what God wants to do in your lives. There's not a one of us that wouldn't raise our hand and say, man, there's something I'd love to forget. There is something that God wants to redeem. He wants to restore. He will let you know this is all about the way you can now turn. Be, a, be a, an agent of mine in seeking the good for others. I don't know what story of your past you want to erase and forget, but God wants to redeem it. It's his grace greater than our mistakes. It's greater than our failures. It's greater than our schemes and it's greater than our plans and it's greater than our past. Because he has an opportunity to redeem it all. We highlighting, highlighting the home. Actually, today was not highlighting the home at all. Highlighting the grace of God that we need in our home. Oh, Father, I, my desire today was just to simply 